been in a, a series of talking about the kingdom of God. And, and I, when, I, when I think of, of kingdom and I say to you kingdom, you may have some, some different images that come up. Some of you might think like royal wedding or, or like the period of medieval where it's get knights and kings and all that. And some of you might think of, you know, a, a dictator with, with ultimate power. But we've been talking about the kingdom of God and defining it in, in this way. The kingdom of God is the governing authority of Jesus over powers, people, and places for God's praise according to the scriptures. The kingdom of God is unique and unlike kingdoms of this, of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. It can't be contained by, by one particular nation or a certain race or a place. It, the kingdom of God is over all powers, all places, all people. And God shared truth when he was on earth. Jesus came and, and he would share things with people. And he would say, the kingdom of God is like this. And he would attach things that they knew, things that they understood with the kingdom of God to help them to understand. Because the kingdom of God is a, is a thing that we often have a, have a difficult time understanding. And so we're, we're going to look at a passage today in which he, he does that. Um, Luke 13, 18 uh, through, through 21. So turn in your Bibles there. And uh, Eliza Turner is going to come and read today. You are in for a treat. Someone who is excited about reading God's word is here with us today. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? Verse 21 says, it is like leaven that the woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Great job. Thank you. There's something special about the word of God being read by, by children. It's it's a fresh thing. I don't think I'll ever, ever get tired of that. Jesus stacks two examples of the kingdom of God on top of each other. Um, he uses these examples to, because this is what we, what we understood. And so the mustard seed was the smallest seed um, that they knew of at the time. It was teen, and they would, would and the, but the mustard tree was, was much larger. It could grow up to, to six feet tall or even larger up to, to 30 feet. And, and leaven is another word um, for yeast, it's not very large either. So I, I brought some along. Look, I am not a baker. I am not an expert. As a matter of fact, when I went yesterday to find yeast in the grocery store, I went, of course, I, went, I was like, oh, baking aisle. And there's a sign that says baking supplies and baking needs. I was like, I, I, so I just went to like baking supplies. I looked, I saw flowers. I couldn't find it. So being the typical man, I was like, uh, Joni, where's the, where's the yeast? She's like, it's right here. It's right across the aisle. Oh, see, I was looking here and it was there. And, and as a man, I couldn't look any further than that. So I had a hard time finding it. I'm not an expert. So most of your wives are going, yeah, I get, that's about right. Yeah, yeah. Or if we have sons, they're like, yeah, that's, that's about right. So anyway, yeast is, is, is not very big. And, and I said what I was going to do. And, and Joni goes, but the people in the balcony, you got, you're up there, I, I see you. They're like, they can't see that. The people in the second row can hardly see it. Exactly. Yeast is not very it's not very big. So if you're, if you're making a recipe and you forgot to put the yeast in, you're not going to notice because the lump is so small. You're not going to be like, oh my goodness, 
I forgot the yeast. The lump is only half the size that it'd be. Like if you had forgotten the water or the flour or something. But if you forget it, it makes a big difference. Both yeast and seeds are, are alive. They have, they have expiration dates and, and, and they grow. And things that are alive are intended to grow as is the kingdom of God. And so we're going to look at three ways that the kingdom of God is intended to grow this morning. The first one is that the kingdom of God is intended to grow by the living king. What shall we compare to the kingdom of God? It's like mustard seed that was, man, took and sowed. And, and it's like leaven that's worked through the, through, the, through the bread. The kingdom of God is alive and moving because the kingdom is, is driven by the king of kings. There's this idea in our world right now that God may or may not exist, but he's not really active. He's not really <coughs> moving. A recent study by, by Barna about teenagers has some good and bad news. And as, as parents and as believers and as the church, we would say, yeah, yeah, there's, there's some good news here. The good news is that the majority of Christian teenagers believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose again. And we would say, that's a great thing. Praise the Lord for that, right? The majority of the young people in churches believe that. That's great news. But the bad news is that only one out of three believe that he is active today. Some go as so far to believe in deism. Deism is this idea that a supreme being, specifically a creator, exists, but he does not intervene in the universe. The idea that, that God kind of put the universe together, kind of wound it up, got it started, and then just sort of left it go. Kind of the idea that we as parents would, would give our children something, hey, here it is, and here's the instructions, and I'm just going to kind of step back and watch and, and not intervene, even if things are on fire, if things are like bleeding, if they're screaming, I'm not going to intervene. This is not a biblical idea. God did not simply create the world, put it together, give us all the pieces, and then say, good luck with that. You're on your own from now. Some of us have, a, have what we would call a practical deism, though, where we would say that, that God is alive. God is real. We're going to gather together, and we're going to sing some songs, and we're going to open his word, but we don't expect him to actually do anything, to actually make a difference, to actually intervene in the world. And so if we go through our life and we don't ever expect that God would change anything, that he would intervene, that he would do anything, that he would listen to our prayers, that he would make good on the promises that he made, we are practically a deist. The reality is that God is alive. God is at work. In John chapter 5, Jesus heals a man by the pool at the, the sheep gate in Jerusalem. And there were many sick and lame people there. And they were hoping to be healed. And Jesus comes in and he, and he heals this person. He heals this man. And, and he, he did so on the Sabbath. And so the, the Pharisees give him a hard time. Luke 15 16 and 17, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. 
See, they had these laws of certain things you were allowed to do on the Sabbath. You were allowed to walk a certain number of steps. You were allowed to carry a certain very light amount of weight or it was considered work. And they're like, Jesus, clearly this goes over the line. You're like healing someone on the Sabbath. This is, this, we can't have this because, see, we have these laws. And Jesus says in verse 17, he says, but my father is working until now. And I am working. I am on the move. God has been at work in the past. And Jesus notes, hey, I'm at work as well. And Malachi 3, 6 says God doesn't change. And so if we recognize that God has been at work and Jesus says, I'm continuing the work of the Father. I'm at work. And if God doesn't change, he certainly would be at work today. And one of the beautiful things is we got to see evidence of that today is two people were baptized. I don't know about you, but as a father, I got the feels. It was like, man, a, a younger brother is asking his older brother to, to baptize him. A, a father is, is baptizing his, his daughter. There are times when, when inactivity kind of catches our eye because it's not what we, what we would expect. I, this week I was watching the, the Sixers in the Heat game. I don't know if you saw this or not, but there was a guy in the front row. It was picture here. Fast asleep. There's a good game going on, right? It's a four-point game, Right? And this guy, fast asleep. Now, I'm kind of naturally sort of cheap. And I think to myself, if you needed a nap, great. Stay home. Instead of the, who knows, thousands of dollars he probably spent to sit courtside. Like it's not just, he's not way up in the back, like in the balcony, in the cheap seats, way at the back of the wall. He is next to, like, he can see Embiid and like see the sweat coming off of him and all of that kind of stuff, right? And he's asleep. Now, I'm sure he had an excuse, like he was, had some sleepless nights and he traveled a lot and he was busy and maybe he had a few drinks at the game. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that in a Baptist church, but that's probably what happened. <laughs> right, right. And so he, he drifts off, right? And I saw these articles this week and they're like, hey, here's who the guy is and all that. And how would you like to be outed as the guy? Like, hey, this is who this was, Right. But we think of God in this way at times. Do we think of him as, as passive? Like he's at the game. He's, he can see it. He knows there's wars. He knows there's abuse. He knows there's things going on. He knows there's stealing and sexual sin and all these, all these things that are going on, right? But he's like, I'm here, but I'm asleep. I'm not doing anything about it. And sometimes we're asleep to the reality that God is at work. But the reality is that he is at work. He's at work adding souls to the kingdom as sinners repent and come to follow Jesus rather than the ways of sin. And so I want to ask you this morning, are you part of this kingdom? Uh, if you join this kingdom of God, that, that God is at work, God is moving, and it's, it's connected to the, to the king himself. The kingdom is not exclusive. It's not something that you have to live in a certain place and, and look a certain way. It, it, it's not exclusive, but there are requirements to be part of the kingdom of God. You need to be forgiven of your sins. And God recognizes that, look, all of us have sinned. All of us have for, fallen short of his glory. And so Jesus comes to earth to pay the penalty of our sin and to take the punishment of our sin so that we can have life. And he simply says, look, believe in me, trust in me. Make me the reason that you live the center of your life. And you'll be forgiven and you'll be part of the kingdom. See, the kingdom is those who are part of the family of God who have, who have made a commitment to him. And if you've not made a commitment to him or you have questions, I would love to, 
to talk with you after the service. I would love to, to pray with you. When this happens, you become a disciple of Jesus. And, and when you are, you're, you're to grow, you're, the second way that the kingdom grows is that the kingdom of God is intended to grow by transforming disciples. Disciples are those who follow Jesus. And we are to be transformed. We are to be changed. The, the big church term here is sanctification. We are to be in a process of changing and becoming like Jesus. Notice that the seed grew and became a tree. That the, that the leaven was worked through the flower. The kingdom grows by changing disciples. We are not intended to stay the same. Jesus will take you the way you are, but he ain't going to leave you that way. He's going to change you and transform you and make you into the image of Jesus. The seed as it's planted is, is shoved in the ground and it, and it breaks open. The leaven is worked through the flour. It's, if it's kind of dry, it's kinda, it seems easy. But, but dough, if you've ever made it, you need it. And you're like pressing into it. And so recognize that in order for us to grow, God is going to have to press us and break us so that he can remake us anew. And so at times, this growth thing is going to hurt. It's going to feel like I'm being broken. I'm feel, being pressed. I'm being slammed on the table over and over again. Yes, that's how it works. But this is how we grow. Growing can be painful. Parents, you, you may have had your kids say to you, and I've had this experience where my kids say, Dad, I'm just kind of tired. My, my legs hurt. Well, what, what, what have you done? Have you done no, they just kind of They just kind of ache. And at the same period, they're more tired. They're sleeping more. And they are I have stepped up the level of the abuse of my refrigerator to no end. And I'm like, I just went to the grocery store. My wife has just filled this thing. What happened? They're hungry, their legs hurt, and they're sleeping a lot. What's going on? They're growing. It's growing pains. It can be painful at times. They're like, it just kind of hurts because everything's things growing. And so there's this, this evidence of, of growth. And so the question is, are you changing and becoming like Jesus? Is there evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in you? you now, you're not saved because of the, of the good things that you do. But if you're saved, there's going to be some change. Jesus says in John 11, in 13, John 13, 35, says, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. That's the mark of a disciple. Do you love each other? And not just the people who are like you, the people who disagree with you, the people who picket your idea, the people who on social media call you names that is not so nice. Do you love everyone? Are you being transformed or are you staying the natural way that you are? The natural way that we as people are from little to middle to old, selfish, right? Parents, you did not take your children aside and say, look, I'm gonna teach you how to be selfish. We do not have selfishness courses in our elementary schools. We do not have selfishness courses where we're like, look, you are new to this job, and the first thing I need to teach you before you can work in this company is you need to be selfish. We don't teach that, but yet people are selfish. It's natural. It's part of our sinful nature. And so if we're being transformed, we are changing into being someone who is other-centered and loving others rather than ourself. And notice what happens with the mustard seed. It grows and it benefits the birds. 
the birds come and, and they're able to, to, to nest in it and, and lit, uh, sit on its branches. The third thing that the kingdom of God grows is it results in glory to God and the benefit of others. The kingdom of God is designed to grow and that, that benefit is to, to spread to others beyond this room. This is not simply like, look, it's only just kind of us in this room and, no, and nobody else. We are to be a benefit, a light to, to those who are not yet inside. And this is how it's always been. God has designed it that this way from the beginning. Isaiah 49, 6. Now this is before Jesus comes. This is before all of what happened with his life, death, resurrection. He says, the end of the verse, he says, I will make you a light to the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Jesus' goal, God's intention was to make his people a light to the nations. We are to be a light to the nations, not just the people who live next to us, who look like us, but to the nations, to everyone. The church exists not only for the benefit of those who are in it, but for the world. And maturity and growing up into him means that we take care of ourselves and other people. I hear a lot of young people who want the privileges of being grown up. They want to be able to determine how money is spent, where they're going to go, what time they're going to come home, what they're going to eat, how it's all going to work, right? They want to be able to have say of all of that stuff. But yet they don't necessarily want to take the responsibility to care for, pay for all of that stuff. The responsibility of maturity goes together with being able to enjoy the, the privileges of that. Maturity takes responsibility of taking care of others. And the key to, to that is, is engaging with the world in the right way. We've been working through scripture as we've been talking about the kingdom of God. In Daniel, Jason shared three ways that we can engage with our culture. Hopefully you remember these. The one was the, the path of separation, the idea that we are just going to separate from the world, we are going to protect ourselves, and we are going to hang on till Jesus comes. Praise the Lord that we are not them. Just hang on. There's this path of assimilation, the idea that, look, you can have your own private faith, but publicly we need to believe in, support all of what our culture is, is saying. This is what progressives and seculars in the West are demanding of us. They say, look, be, be a Christian if you must. If you, if you really want to, it's fine. But do it in privacy. Don't bring it out here in the public square. Don't impose that on anyone else. Don't speak of it anywhere else except for in your home and maybe in your church. And then lastly, the, the biblical way, the path of invigoration, the way that we are to enlighten the world with the goodness and the grace of God so that the peace and the welfare of God can be within us and with, with others. Jeremiah 29, 7 says, but seek first the welfare of the city in which I sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on his behalf for it is its welfare, for in its welfare as you find your welfare. And so we need to be in the world, but not led by the ideas of the world. We need to be kingdom people. Kingdom people who invigorate the society rather than simply, simply assimilate. And the, it relates to the way that we relate to the world. Now, when, when Pastor Jason is here, you from time to time would know, it's a very poorly kept secret, that he has a particular candy obsession. 
We can call it that, right? An obsession. He loves small chocolates called M&Ms. Now, I will tell you that I have a candy obsession as well, and so maybe this is a support group, but mine looks a little more like this, okay? I believe that the person who decided that we were going to take chocolate and put it together with peanut butter, brilliant, mind-blowingly smart, right? I don't know why, but those two together, they just work beautifully together. And so if you need just like a little pick-me-up, a little bit of sweetness, a little bit of happiness, here we go. It's in different forms, obviously. There's the big cup. Those are okay. The originals are the best, as always. The originals are the best, right? There's the little ones that are more, more portable. Um, I found that they come in a really big container. Like if you go to Sam's, you can get yourself a really big one, which is probably, you might as well just sign the waiver and say, yes, this is five pounds that I'm going to add to my body if I eat this. But it, they're fa it's fantastic, right? And so I have grown up always loving peanut butter cups. And if there was an option, I was always like, yeah, give me, give me the peanut butter cups. And I will tell you, the fresh ones are the best. When I was in Pennsylvania, I had the opportunity to knew some people who worked at the Reese's factory and they were able to buy the stuff pretty fresh. And I'll tell you, the best peanut butter cups are the fresh ones because like the peanut butter is still greasy and flavorful. It's a beautiful thing. So as I was in college, I met the woman who had become my wife and, and her family succumbed to a different sort of philosophy in terms of their favorite. And it looked a little bit like this, the peppermint patty. Now the peppermint patty is fine. Right? And they would make all sorts of creations that are dark chocolate, which is okay, it's a little bitter, it's not the real thing, and, and mint, right? So like every way that you can make something mint or dark chocolate, they were all about it, right? And I was okay with that. But then something tragic would happen. I would come to their house and they would have this bowl of, of candies, right? And they would put these two things together in the same bowl. They were still wrapping in the same bowl. Please, people, people. This is not okay. Because you know what happens when you put these two together? The beauty of the peanut butter cup tastes like mint. This mint is so aggressive, so pervasive, that it will flavor a thing. It even flavors like just regular chocolate. We as people too often are willing to kind of take that place of the peanut butter cup and say, look, I'm just going to absorb anything that the world gives me. If they tell me I need to believe this, okay. I'll, now, I may not do it right away. Right now, me just putting these together here, I've not ruined them instantly, but if over time, it would, it would do some damage. And, and so we as a church, as, as the, the larger church, we, 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 we follow after the world, but just a little more slowly. Like we're not gonna immediately succumb to your ideas, but we're gonna kind of slowly be, be pulled along and absorb it. We need to be and this hurts me to say this. We need to be the peppermint patty that is making a difference in everything that we touch rather than being a peanut butter cup that just absorbs everything and believes it and takes it on and changes our philosophy. The word of God needs to be our center. Too often we absorb the ways of the world. Now we don't do it immediately, but we eventually get there. We need to invigorate the culture towards the commitments of the kingdom rather than assimilate what the world, the world needs. And when we do that, the results can, can be overwhelming. When a, when a seed is planted and it's alive, it can't be overcome. This is why some trees grow in some crazy places. Check out this picture of this tree growing in a, in a crazy place. How did that get there? How is that growing? I don't know, I'm kind of fascinated by goofy stuff like this. And I'm like, so I get it now that the tree is like strong enough, but how did it get started? How does it, and it grows in a, in a difficult spot. And let me tell you that the kingdom needs to grow in some 
some difficult, hard places. It needs to, to be there. And we have this idea too that, that we can be sort of constrained by things. But the reality is, is that just like that tree grinder, that, that yeast and leaven will do its work, will do its thing. And the world has this idea that, you know, we're going to kind of discard it. We're going to try to contain it. But then sometimes something like this happens. Check out the next picture. Somebody was like, oh, it's okay. I'll just throw the dough away. There's a bunch of yeast. It's old. I'll throw it away. Huge mess, right? So the world has this idea of like, oh, we're just going to kind of put but the, but the yeast over here. We'll just kind of put that away. But no, it's going to do its work. It's going to spread. It's going to grow. And this starts in our own lives. Friends, this starts in us. If God is going to, to change the culture, he begins with changing us. And then in turn, it changes the church. And in the turn, that changes the world. But it begins with us as, as individuals. And so the question is, whose kingdom are you building? Because I know that every day we get up and we work for somebody. Is it our kingdom or is it his kingdom? This starts in our own lives, but it also starts in our homes. Last week we celebrated... Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, a week late. In a couple weeks, I don't even know how many, we're going to celebrate Father's Day. Happy Father's Day in a, in, in, in a couple weeks. But this mission that he's given us, we, we strongly believe is, is to be in our families. And we believe that the primary people who disciple children are their parents. The, the Seniors that we saw at the beginning of the service, their parents have invested in them, have planted in them the gospel. Parents, you are the primary disciple-making agent of your children. This is why we, we partner with parents. It's why we make parenting and we make family discipleship a big deal at Living Hope because that's where we are to do it according to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so we've created something for parents called Parent Gathering. And I don't want to assume that all of you know about it, but it meets at 9.30. It, and what we do is we, we spend time teaching you what your child is learning that day and training you in, in how to parent. And let me tell you, we're not experts. We're doing it together. We're learning together. But I don't know how it goes in your house when you ask your child about school. Hey, how was school today? Oh, you fine. What'd you learn? I don't know if you get the same look. Right? Now, if there's a fight, I hear about that. Right? If somebody got in trouble, somebody did something dumb, whatever, I hear about that. Maybe it's because I, I have middle school and high school kids. But I, what I don't hear is, hey, Dad, today in literature, we read this story, and here's how I felt about that story. None of that, right? Now, that carries over to church, too. Hey, what'd you learn about in Sunday school today? Maybe you've heard this. Maybe you've had this. What'd you learn about in Sunday school today? Uh, Jesus. What'd you learn about Jesus? Jesus. Where, what passage are we in? We're in the Bible, right? And so we want to help you have meaningful conversations by having some some in, intelligence towards it. And so I know if you're a parent and you're in here, what I'm asking you for is a shift, a shift to to worship at eight or at eleven with your family so that you can be a part of parent gathering, so your child can, can be a part of, of next gen and can be learning together. So prayerfully consider how you, how you may do that. And so it's not just something that we come and we, 
we sit and we watch, but that we're growing together. Because I'll tell you, the parents and parent gathering encourage me as a, as a dad, because there are days when I'm like, man, I am not on the struggle bus. The struggle bus, well, I fell out of the struggle bus first, and then it's like running back and forth kind of across me. And I get insights from other parents and they hopefully gain some insights from me as well because we're in this together because we get it. Nobody needs to explain to a mother of a preschooler what it's like to be a mother of a preschooler. You immediately go, I get you, I see you, right? I get that. It's those, those struggles together. And for those who, who don't have kids at home, there are ways for you to, to connect and, and serve with others. Any of, our, um, any of our staff can point you in that right direction that may be just pointing to the, to the right staff person. We'd like to help you get connected. And so as we, as we end this morning, I wanna call the care leaders up as, as we're about to pray. And as you go, I want you to understand that the kingdom of God is on the move. That by his power, he changes us as individuals and he's gonna change the world. And so the question for us is, are we going to be with that? Are we going to be a part of that? Or are we going to be the guy sitting at the game with the game, great game going on and we are asleep? Which one are we going to be? Are we going to be on the court or are we going to be asleep? Pray with me, Lord God, you are alive and moving. And Father, we're grateful for that, Lord, because without that, we would be without hope. Father God, we thank you for your transforming power and the, the, the world that you are changing because of your love and your care for us. God, help us to submit to your plan, to your will for our lives rather than our own. God, help us not to simply absorb all of the things that the world sends our way. But God, help us to invigorate the culture by your power, by your spirit at work within us so that we might experience what you're calling us to, to be. God, we're grateful that you give us the opportunity to be a part of this kingdom of God. God, we know it's on the move. Help us to, to follow the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Knowing, Lord, that there's great great benefit and blessing, not only for us, but also for the world. God, we're grateful that you're doing this. And thanks for inviting us to be a part of it. God, we're grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.